Well, good morning. Are you awake? Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. I said this to the 830 crowd, you know, they're much better at responding than you guys are. So I'm just confessing I said that to them. Maybe you can, like, improve your reputation today, okay? Loosen up a little. We're good. Um, I want to share the scripture with you. It's from Luke's Gospel. As we're going through Luke's Gospel, the first chapter, uh, it's the story of Mary's visit to Elizabeth, including Mary's song. So I'm reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I invite you to listen to God's word. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has said what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Will you pray with me? Gracious God and O Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak both to us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's just set the stage again for what is happening here to do a little quick review of the first chapter of Luke thus far. You might recall there was this priest named Zechariah, and he was married to Elizabeth. And through an announcement from the angel Gabriel, the menopausal Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John, that is John the Baptist. Zechariah couldn't believe this. He expressed his disbelief. So God struck him mute for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary, on the opposite end of the age spectrum, 
She's probably 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. She's been told by the same angel that she will also have a baby and that her baby will be the son of the Most High. When Mary points out that, um, well, Gabriel, um, I don't think that's really possible, you know, my lifestyle. Um, And uh, Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the baby you are to have will be called the Son of God. Then the angel conveniently lets Mary know that she has a relative, Elizabeth, who's also conceived a son, and that she's in her sixth month. And finally, Mary says, in essence, okay, I'm in. And right after she agrees to the plan, God's plan, after she kind of takes it in and says, okay, what does she do immediately afterwards? That's where we read today. Does she go to her parents? Does she go to her fiancé, Joseph? Does she go to Babies R Us and get a few accoutrements for the baby? No. We read that Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Why? Because she was a newly pregnant girl, an unmarried young teenager living in a culture of strict rules and social mores in which she knew she would be an outcast, maybe even killed. But she also was a newly pregnant girl who wants some camaraderie. She's craving to talk to someone who understands. The angel had specifically told her about her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, and even though Elizabeth is probably old enough to be her grandmother, maybe even her great-grandmother, Mary is dying to spend time with her. And she probably also, let's be honest, she wants to get out of town. So Mary goes to this unnamed town in Judea, and according to tradition, this is where the summer home of Zechariah and Elizabeth was. It's where Elizabeth remained in seclusion during her pregnancy. It's about five miles outside of Jerusalem, and the modern name of the place is Ein Karim. And you might have guessed that this past summer when Phil and I were in the Holy Land, we went to Ein Karim. And I know this is shocking, but there's a church there in Ein Karim Karim, commemorating the visitation of Elizabeth and Mary, that meeting. And it's called, cleverly, the Church of the Visitation. It's run by the Franciscans, and there's a painting inside that church um, that's a beautiful mural, and that's Mary and Elizabeth meeting each other in that community. I'm guessing that the idea of hanging out in seclusion with another surprisingly pregnant woman and a relative at that sounded really good to Mary. However, what most of us have never really thought about, and I have to confess I never thought about until this summer, Mary was in Nazareth, 
up in the Galilee. Elizabeth is in Ein Karim. There are about 75 miles as a crow flies between Nazareth and Ein Karim. And if Mary wants to avoid Samaria, which of course is a Jewish woman, she would not want to walk through Samaria. It's actually about a hundred mile trek for Mary to get to Elizabeth. And we read that Mary got ready and hurried to Elizabeth. Remember, Mary is a teenager. First of all, I thought, gosh, do teenagers really hurry? But I guess she did. She hurried. I don't know. But then there's no mention of her traveling with anyone else. Maybe she joined in a caravan going down that road. Remember, she's pregnant. She can't afford the train ticket on the Jerusalem Express. So, of course, she has to walk 100 miles, probably about a 10-day journey to go see her menopausal pregnant relative. You know, I have to admit I've always liked Mary. But in, pe- in spending some time, especially on this section of the scripture, and paying attention to this stuff has made me like her even more. She not only is the one that selected to carry the Son of God, like that's not cool enough, but she's got spunk. She has some get up and go. She doesn't seem limited by the boundaries which her culture puts upon her. She's traveling 100 miles, probably that 10 days, on her own through a barren wilderness where there are known to be thieves. And she's traveling over three mountain ranges. Granted, their mountain ranges aren't like our mountain ranges, but still, traveling. And she's pregnant, taking care of herself and her unborn baby. And so for 10 days, Mary is walking and thinking. For 10 days, she's probably praying, maybe even starting to wonder What in the world have I gotten myself into? Mary amazingly arrives safely at Elizabeth's house, and she says hello in the doorway. Elizabeth only hears her voice. She hasn't even seen her yet. She just hears her voice, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. Mary spoke. John leaped. What does it feel like to have a baby leap in your womb? Was it really just a kick, like so many of us have felt, or or was it something different? John moved inside of her to the point that Elizabeth, we read, cried out. In fact, that Greek word that is used there, the Greek word is krauge. It's translated as cry out or exclaimed. But it's a term that's usually used in crying out with pain. I think John kicked or leaped or whatever he did with such gusto that Elizabeth just shouted out. But maybe even more important here, is that the Holy Spirit shows up. Or I should say, 
reappears again, that same Holy Spirit that had come upon Mary and overshadowed her and begun her pregnancy, that same Holy Spirit that was promised to John the Kicker, I mean John the Baptist. And thus begins a conversation, two pregnant women talking. You know, in this passage, there are 276 words. Yes, I counted them. 276 words. 205 of them are dialogue. That's 75% of this passage. Nothing unusual there. Two pregnant women, a lot of talking. No men were present except those babes in utero, and they can't speak. The only other man that was mentioned, uh, that's not an angel, that is, previously was Zechariah, and he's been conveniently muted. I wonder why Phil asks me to preach on this passage. It was a pregnant conversation. Of course, that is a double entendre. On the one hand, we have two pregnant women conversing. On the other hand, we have a conversation that is pregnant with meaning. Elizabeth exclaims in that loud voice, having just been leapt in, I guess, leapt in, and she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard the greeting in my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. The first thing that Elizabeth does is bless Mary. And then she blesses the baby. First two blessings in the New Testament are by the woman, Elizabeth. Now we know that Gabriel told Mary about Elizabeth's pregnancy, but how in the world did Elizabeth know about Mary's pregnancy? Remember, she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she was carrying a child that was kicking with the Holy Spirit, and She was a pregnant woman who just knew. Think about this. Elizabeth was the first one to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God, the first one to call him Lord, the first one to worship him, in some ways the first one to preach of him. She didn't even see him alive yet. She didn't see him live. She didn't see him walk on water. She didn't see him raise the dead. She didn't see him heal anybody. She didn't see him die on a cross. She didn't see him resurrected back to life. But she's already worshiping him and claiming him as God. As soon as Mary's voice was heard, The unborn babe John leaped for joy. The old woman and the young woman come together. In some ways, it's like the old covenant and the new covenant 
coming together, their bellies touch. And John worships too. Six months gestation, and the guy's already worshiping Jesus. It's that Holy Spirit thing again. Elizabeth is so excited that she blesses Mary again, this time for her belief. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I'm guessing that upon hearing this, Mary just sighed with relief. She was so relieved she could relax. Maybe during that long journey, Mary was wondering, what in the world am I doing? Maybe she had had some second thoughts during those 10 days. Maybe she realized how crazy this thing really was and how it sounded. There's nothing like 10 days in the desert to really think and ponder. You know, sometimes God tells us to do something or to go somewhere. And initially we have this enthusiasm, but then as time goes by, our excitement, our faith, our conviction, it begins to wane, and we question, and we wonder, and we crave some kind of confirmation. But before Mary even sees Elizabeth, it's all confirmed. Thank you, Lord. And then Mary sings. It actually says in the text that she said, but you know, it's a song. So I'm thinking maybe she kind of did that speak singing or something. I'm not sure. According to scholars, Mary's song, as we call it, is the most frequently sung song in all human history. It's been sung in monasteries, in churches, in convents, in schools. It's been made into hymns. It's been made into old songs. It's been made into new songs, contemporary songs. The Novello Publishing Company alone lists upwards of a thousand songs that use at least parts of the words of Mary's song. In other words, if we were to do like a top ten list of biblical songs, we're looking at number one today. Number one. The NIV begins it, my soul glorifies the Lord. But in most other translations, it begins what? My soul magnifies the Lord. It's often called the Magnificat because in Latin, the word magnify is magnificat. So, just what does it mean to magnify the Lord? I can't help but think back when I was a girl and whenever it was possible on Saturdays, my dad and I would go to Stanford football games. And whenever we went, he brought this awkward-looking leather box pouch with a leather strap And even during warm-ups, he would pull out that little leather case, and out of the case came two big, a pair, excuse me, a big black binoculars. Except my dad, he called them glasses. I don't know why. He said, 
He called them glasses. And we'd be sitting there even at the warm-ups, and he would say, let's pull out the glasses. And uh, they would have these four lens caps on them, two on the front lens and then two on the big lens on the end. And it was always the challenge to get those off and not lose them. So I remember taking out those binoculars, taking the lens caps off, and adjusting those to my face, and voila, it was like the players were in the row right in front of me. I could see their muscles and their expressions. I could see the grass stains on their white helmets. It all looked so real and so up close. When Mary heard Elizabeth's confirmation, God and what God was doing through her became even more real. Mary saw who really was on the field calling her into the game, so to speak. Mary caught an up-close glimpse of the massive strength and the rippling glory of God himself on the move and filled Mary's soul with song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name. Mary is enraptured by the magnificence of the nature of God. She's not using those cute little expressions that we hear sometimes. You know them. God is my best friend. God is the big man upstairs. God is my co-pilot. No, no, no. Those weren't the phrases for Mary. Mary catches a glimpse of the brilliant purity and holiness that is God's very essence. And she's clear in the contrast between a being like this and herself. And she sees that he is so good. And the miracle that gets magnified is that God is mighty, but nonetheless mindful and merciful toward humble people, toward those who fear him, toward those who trust him. Sometimes we think Christmas time is all about peace and reconciliation and harmony. And ultimately it is. But there's no denying that there's struggle and there's tension and there's challenges to Christmas as well. And no, I'm not talking about your dinner with relatives on Christmas Day. I'm talking about Mary's song. Because she goes on in that song. And she says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. 
E. Stanley Jones, who was a preacher from a couple generations ago, he said that the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. William Barclay said, in effect, that just because this song is sung by a gentle, young, humble woman, we dare not miss the fact that she is carrying a bombshell. The child that Mary will bear is going to challenge us. It's going to disrupt our lives and turn things upside down. We live in a world where we're told again and again that measure that worth is measured by appearance or by income or by connections or by education or by status. But Mary says the opposite. In essence, she says, watch out. If you're really proud of your accomplishments, watch out. If you have earthly power, watch out if you're rich. Rather, it's the humble and the hungry that will be uplifted and fed. Twenty years ago, when we were living in Philadelphia, I heard this charismatic Presbyterian preacher. No, I'm not talking about Phil. Different Presbyterian preacher. And she used a phrase that for some reason has stuck in my mind all this time. She said this. She said, Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. You know, that pretty much summarizes what Mary said. That Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. It kind of makes us twitch, a little uncomfortable. It's, it's kind of disturbing. It's, it's not all about peace and harmony, but it's about Jesus. With Jesus, God is bringing this great reversal of fortune. In fact, think about who is singing or saying these words. It's Mary. Mary, a simple peasant girl, a teenager. For goodness sake, she's a junior high girl, except without the education. Despite the beautiful paintings and the statues made of her, she probably was quite ordinary looking. She probably didn't have very special clothes or beautiful beautiful clothes. She didn't drive a nice car. She didn't live in a nice house. She probably did not have a job. But God chose Mary, the speaker of these words, quite intentionally, to be the bearer of the one who was to bring this reversal of fortune. You know, I said before that I always liked Mary. But we need to remember this story isn't all about Mary and her holiness and her perfectness. It's about God and God bringing his kingdom through Jesus. I recently heard a story about a church that was doing one of those live nativity scenes. You've seen them. They have a live Mary and Joseph and a live baby, and they bring in the donkeys and sometimes sheep and goats and shepherds and various other people. 
Well, in this particular nativity, all the people that were the humans in the nativity scene had these half-hour shifts, so nobody got cold or whatever. One of the Marys did not show up for her shift, which is a problem in a nativity scene. So this crowd is looking frantically for a Mary. And in the crowd was a 40-something-year-old, former addict, a woman struggling with depression. She's been diagnosed as a manic depressive. She'd had a baby out of wedlock, and in the early years, she'd neglected her son. She was a little heavy set, a few wrinkles on her face. She wore glasses, and she was wearing jeans and a pink hoodie. They recruited her to play Mary. In picturing it, it kind of makes us laugh. Mary? Looking like that? With a past like that? But why not? It wasn't Mary's age or her beauty or her status or even her past that qualified her to carry the Son of God. God chose her. And in her symbolized that God was the one who was doing the redeeming through his son, Jesus. After this pregnant conversation, we read that Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months, and then she returned home. Since Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary came. Mary was probably there for the birth of John the Baptist. And after that, she went home to Nazareth, another hundred miles back, another ten days. Her travel down was in the first trimester. Her travel back was in the second trimester. In just a few more months, she'll be traveling again in her third trimester. Except this time, to Bethlehem. Will you pray with me? Again, oh God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that conversation between Elizabeth and Mary. For your Holy Spirit that was present through it all and is present here. Thank you, Lord God. Amen.